Hello, and welcome to the MXU Worship Podcast hosted by Stephen Brewster. Each episode features great conversations between Stephen and all kinds of worship leaders, from the most prolific songwriters from prominent churches to folks you may have never heard of. Either way, we hope that these resources and conversations will encourage, equip, and empower you to be the best worship leader you can be. Make sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast, too, so you can stay up to date on all of our episodes and other resources. So if you don't know my friend Rich, you need to, because Rich is a creative genius. He is uh, a former worship leader, creative director, um, moved into being an author and speaker. Now you live in L.A., is that correct? Well, I just moved to the Bay Area, so now I'm in oh, East okay. Bay, which is quite a change. East Bay. Uh, yeah, it's quite a change. I would think that's pretty me. dramatically different. You know, when this is kind of like a, a, a suburb of Oakland, it's really nice yep. out here in uh, near Walnut Creek. Um, but it's very different than Long Beach, living right a, a city on the beach. Yeah. I kind of miss that a little bit. But yeah, I spent I'm sure. in L.A. County for quite a while. So... As a creative, what's the biggest difference creatively between the two locations? Well, in Long Beach as a city, for instance, the creativity is of all classes of people, from your mm-hmm. cooks, barbers, coffee shops, and then you know, then you have industry people. Uh, here, um, the most creative thing is that everyone owns a Tesla. So yeah. it's very high tech. It's very much, <laughs> I'm just saying it's true. Right. I cannot believe right. how many people up here have those particular cars. And it's kind of like the Beamer of today, of yesterday, you know, of whatever. Right. But anyway, so, but it's very much innovation is very much part of the culture. If you're really smart and you're starting something up, but as far as creativity, as far as arts are outside that box, it's really kind of more of an undercurrent um, of the culture where mm-hmm. like you're in LA County, especially Long Beach where I lived. I mean, everything was creative. I mean, they yeah. painted the streets even. You know, the stuff that they did there were just, um, and it seemed like the whole community of all, you know, was all engaged. And here, the challenge is trying to find my new creative tribe. And that's always hard when you move. Of course. Yeah. Your, your people. Who are your people and how do you get there? Exactly. Um, okay. So tell us how you got started in, in, with music and with worship. Because that was really the beginning, if I remember the story correctly, of, of how you got started in, in working with churches. Yeah, um, I was a student. I went to music school, um, trade school, and so I was in my home church. Uh, I was singing, you know, I was like 19 or something, and the arrangement was really terribly done. And so I just kind of took it home, and I recopied it out, and I handed it to the music director of this big church um, in San Jose, California, which is my hometown. And they were like, he pulled me aside and Rich, um, what do you do right now? So I deliver pizzas. My brother owned a pizza shop. So what do you do when you're 19? Deliver pizzas. And yeah. um, so well, how, how much do you make delivering pizzas? I forgot. It's like nothing probably. He says, well, match that. If you work for the church, you can do music here for us and stuff. I said, really? You're kidding me? So I ended up, you know, becoming, you know, the, the bottom rung staff person of this really large church. Where we had orchestra and choirs. We had a young adult choir, wow. of like 50 to 60 people, which is cool wow. when you're a young adult. You know, of course, you know, all the hormones are there too. So it was a really a lot of fun. Right. Um, yeah. right. <laughs> like, uh, my girlfriend was there with me, who's now my wife. But anyway, um, so we're like, uh, I got into this world and a couple years go down the road, you know, and, um, you know, I'm on the staff and I, you know, what am I doing? I'm a music copyist. 
way back in the day mm-hmm. by hand for horns and all that kind of stuff. And wow. Organizing. How do you get acquired? How to rehearsals, practice tapes before they had all this. So I like learned everything, like all the just grunt work of what it is to organize. And I worked with the admin mostly and my worship pastor. Here's a here's a cassette tape, Rich. We want to do this at rehearsal at 3 p.m., but tonight we need a chart for this. So that's how I started. Yeah. And then music director, she, she was well-connected. She said, I have a friend, Rich, who um, you need to know. He's doing a church plant and needs a worship leader. And I go, what in the world is a church plant and what is a worship leader? <laughs> of course, now it's trademark. That's another story. But Right, um, right, right. So, like, I didn't know what that was. I was a young guy, and, and you know, and she kind of explained it to me, and I met this young guy who was planning a church in Orange County, which is really cool, on the beach. And so, and I, yeah. see, I can't go alone, so I brought my wife, and I started a ministry. Um, I, instead of going into music, uh, like I thought I was going into, I, I went in, you know, full bore into this um, this this church world of of being the church creative person, which I had no idea what I was walking into. There was no schooling. Right. There was no articles to read. There were some uh, vineyard uh, magazines that had tapes and things about what worship was about. That part was great, but there was nothing about what your role was and what you're supposed to do and how it fits in. And all. so I just got thrown full into that and church planning. And back up a few more years, I end up at a mega church. Uh, I think it's at the time I first met you. You were like an integrity or something like that um, yeah. way back in the day. And and I end up like in this this huge church with a staff of you know half a dozen people and thousands of people coming and um, having to put on a show and a worship conference of my own and all that. So you know started like what is a worship leader and ended up that and <laughs> and you know I learned the hard way. I'm a first generation person. I had no yeah. one you know in my family was in ministry, um, and so you know I was jealous of all my friends. You know I always try to get men- I always had mentors. I always had people who saved me. If I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have lasted the 20 right. years into that industry um, and ministry. So anyway, so that was my background. And then, you know, the pivot came uh, when, you know, you suddenly you're, you're not like 29, which is too old now to be a worship leader or whatever it is. And, <laughs> and so I ended up doing other things. So like developing people as executive um, team on a church and, and, but I still really, you know, the creative person, um, right. Is something I always just, you know, we don't, we don't have a tribe of people that's easily identifiable. So how do we, you know, um, get that kind of feedback that really knows what's going on inside. And that was always a struggle. And so, you know, over the years, I, you know, I used to teach worship leaders at conferences and, and always afterwards or during, they would always ask these questions about creativity. And so I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Cause it's not just, about music, okay, music, you know, you're going to do, there's music and there's a lot of de- definition about how to do music. And, you know, you master yep. the number system charts. If you, if your team does that, or you, you know, I wrote a horn chart, you know, there's something that's pretty, you know, there's math to it, but when right. it comes to creativity, I got to do 52 weekends and they got to be something. <laughs> and it's like right. a train. It's coming every week on time, whether I'm ready for it or not. And there's expectations. Yep. How do I deliver that? And so I had these questions about that. Um, and so I kind of came up just this thing, I guess, on a napkin or something like that back in the day about these three steps of creativity. And I started teaching that and it just seemed people really were hungry for that. And then I got curious because the pandemic happened and right. I ended up going back to school because I needed to learn more. I really wanted to write something that not just my creative tribe would, would really appreciate, but those people who lead creatives and those people mm-hmm. who I hope under, will understand some of what goes on inside. 
um, because yep. I have footnotes, you know, on this book and all this stuff. So I wanted to learn how to do that and not get another music or theology degree or something, but to go and really find out what is leadership because really artists change culture. So that was my journey. So now I'm like trying to figure out, it's a whole new reboot for me. I'm excited about um, continuing to just help develop people. And I found out that's what I've always loved. What's always kept me going. How right. do you help people succeed? And that's kind of like the artist is always like, who are you mentoring? Who are you putting into? Artists always love that. Rembrandt had all of these young painters that helped him finish these huge paintings that he taught and they had his fingerprints on it, but it wasn't his hand. And today I think the artist in, especially the church, most important place to be has to think that way. How am I passing on? And there's a whole theology to this even. So anyway, yeah. so that's kind of like so how tell, I did it. Well, unpack that a little bit though. Unpack the theology of this because I think it's really important because the, 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 the truth is, I believe that um, in, in, church world or the the world that we operate in when it comes to 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 delivering that creativity every 52 weeks like you talked about it, that everyone that's creative is approached or act has to act the same the truth <laughs> is it's very different flavors of creativity oh. inside of each of those people right oh absolutely. so tell us a little bit about that theology well so there's two parts to what you're asking here. The first is like just the theology that I that as I look at Exodus, when the Holy Spirit gifted people to to make implements for the temple of worship, you know, um, and what the word that it uses is not those particular people. It's basically I'm going to um, anoint a guild of people, mm -hmm. which means these silversmiths are now a family that's going to have generations. They're going to raise other people up to be silversmiths or musicians, whatever else you're doing for the worship of God. Right. So the whole idea was not just you're getting the gift, but part of that is how are you going to pass this on? And so the language yep. in the Hebrew there is really clear about this idea. And those of us who are creatives know we've always had somebody who just pulled us aside and showed us something. I had a jazz piano right. teacher and he had like, he always had like his scotch on the thing, by the way, on his piano. <laughs> he was teaching me. It's a whole other story, but he wanted to really pass on a couple things to me. I could tell. And that's important. And I think that part of the calling of being an artist, that artisan, is, is really, the guild is really the call. It's a community. It's to pass on something. Okay, then you have the church. How does that look in the church situation? All the different kinds. I kind of identify two categories of creatives in the book. I call them the robots and wizards. You know, the robots approach it very process. Like some of us inside are like, or engineer, you know, we very technical. We want to kind of get all that kind of started. And then we start our creative process. There's a lot of us like the wizard where we're just like, I have this idea. It's like 3 a.m. And I'm going to even call my friends if I have to, to get this thing right. on the road. And there's a spectrum, of course. So that's why there's many different things, the kinds and styles of how a person will create. So when a manager or a church leader has that person, in their mind, they're, they think, like you're saying, one kind of person, you do these things. Um, and one story here, just about like graphic design, like I've done a little bit of it, but usually had a designer and we had this mm -hmm. one idea, Tuesday meeting. Oh gosh, this was great. I wrote down some ideas that, you know, how things buzz and you just start happening. Right. They call the guy, send him some, you know, sketches of try this, sends it back that night for some reason. Like he never does that. And then I come back the next day to a follow up meeting and I present it and they're all blown away. Well, I'm dead. Because now right. they expect that to be the process every single time. They don't know that that guy's been designing for years 
and right. I've been working with him, and I know those people, and I was able to interpret their vision for this. I had a pastor one time cry in a meeting. We, we ran a dry run of a video, um, and these were all teens and young adults who helped me put together this film, this little short film. And this was just a run through. We said, you know, and I kept telling him, I said, the pastor, he's really rough. He's going to, he might cancel it all. Um, yeah. And so we get to the end and say, okay, we're still in, Rich. We know we could just be totally, you know, we're okay. So, you know, you have to do that sometimes. Right. So they brought it in and they, and they, and I played it. And this is just the dry run through before we did everything with lighting and cleaning it up and all that. And he was crying and he looks, how did they do this? He could not understand. How did they know what I was seeing inside? And I, and I was just like aghast at um, the, the the breakfast, the lunches, the coffees, the meetings, mm-hmm. the storyboards, the editing mm-hmm. with team members, the collaboration, all of that messy stuff to get to just this one point in the creative process. He had no idea and he didn't want to know. He wanted to give those guys right. like money and they didn't want money even, by the way. They were like volunteers right. or kids, but kids whose parents were well endowed to give them cameras that they had. That's why I had them volunteer. Right. But so there was no understanding of of all of that stuff that they had that, that we had to do to get his vision right. onto tape. And so he felt that, but he didn't want to see. And this is kind of hurt. It kind of broke my heart. He didn't want to see the value mm-hmm. of, of me being like that artisan in Exodus, trying right. to build a guild of people who's going to, is going to be a tree that shade I may not get to enjoy, but I know somebody will. And that's what we yeah. do when we're doing our best and he didn't get that. 100%. It's like right. all the time you're spending, well, that's, it took, you know how long it took, it took four months to recruit this one guy. Right. Right. And you know, and he ended up overusing that video because after we finished it, they really loved it, but it was just like, <laughs> but that's why there's so many ways. And it's one of the few times the church video has been overused, by the way, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I used it well long so. after I burned my uh, time out there, which was fun. So, right. But because of that, you're, you, there's so many different approaches how people come and create, but there is a process to it. And a lot of it's hidden under underneath. Um, yeah. And it's it's what makes things good is the editing, it's the collaboration, it's the iterations. And, yeah. you know, you don't want someone to hear your first draft. Like my first draft of my book, oh boy, mm. you know, <laughs> this book. And you know, I didn't know anything about, you know, I'm a new author, right? So I have this book, 60,000 words on it. And. You know, it's really good, not because of just me, because I had like, right. I wrote like 40,000 words and then I had to write an additional 40, 50,000 words to get the 60,000 words that right. came out in the book. And that took like two to three years right of like researching and speaking it in front of people, like, like workshopping, like drama right. people do with right. the play, right. all of that stuff. And to convince church leadership that that is valuable, that workshopping things, uh, trying things out, um, and valuing those relationships that build slowly to people who they may go off to another church or some other place and get a career out of their volunteerism because you, you maybe you can't yeah. hire them. But isn't that great? Right. Isn't that what we keep doing? Amazing. But I'm, 100%. I don't, so that's, this is my, so that's my mission. My mission is to somehow um, help convince leaders of, of this creative process and how it's really just a human process. It's just another word, creativity, another word for what humans really do when we thrive. Yep. Okay. So really quick, I want to go back. If you could tell that, cause there's a lot of people listening right now that are like, rich, that was me. I would, I'm the guy who 
has done all of this work and I don't feel valued for it. I don't feel um, permissioned to really be the full creative that I am. I, 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 I'm maybe even discouraged or, or distraught. If you can go back to the rich that had those feelings in that meeting, what would you tell them today? Well, tell them, first of all, you're not alone and don't be alone. So first of all, you got to realize there are other people who are dealing. That's why the, this is a wonderful platform that you've created because of that fact. You're not alone. And then don't be alone is by get mentors. One of the things that helped me survive is having people who I could call and have a Chile Verde burrito with, which was one of my mentors' favorite things, which is awesome. Um, at this dive place that no one would ever go to from our fancy church. <laughs> it was awesome. Right, right, um, right. And we sit down and talk about real stuff. And this guy had incredible credits I didn't, I didn't even know about. He was so humble. But I learned so much. He let me into his life. He let me watch how he deal with struggles. Things that I, luckily I hadn't ever had to deal with. But um, mm-hmm. so having a mentor, always seeking out somebody, you know, mentor somebody that you choose. And I always kind of thought there's three things, you know, you, um, uh, you make a friend, um, you find a mentor and, and then you, and then you, uh, then you give away those three things should mm-hmm. be part of what a creative does to be healthy because you always have to think of who can I help next? Yeah. It doesn't matter how yep. young you are. Yep. Okay. So now for that leader who was sitting on the other side of the table from you. Now you're in a position where you have the influence and authority to be able to speak to that person. What would you say to them? I would say that um, creativity is you need to be more creative. And what that means is you need to um, learn that what you bring to the table is as important as anything in the creative process. You think there's this creative people who do creative stuff and there's you who do whatever you do as a leader, you lead stuff, but really it's a collaboration. And then they, the creative people need you to have an understanding of boundaries of helping them find where those fences are called the sandbox. The, what is that sandbox? Mm-hmm. They know that they can play in because all, all the times with the pushback creatives are going to give you as a leader is they don't know what you're really asking. It's like saying, make a painting. Um, but, uh, you, you just, you don't even give them the canvas. So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what size. Is this a mural? Is it a digital painting? Is it like a little, you know, canvas? Is it watercolor? So you have to help that creative person understand you can play in this playground. I'm mm-hmm. going to give you some definite, but I don't, I'm not going to make it too small, but I want to give you an area where you can fail. Like you can spend up to this much money. I had one leader who would never give me a budget ever, ever, ever. And then I put something, goes, you should have spent more. I said, well, you said don't give you a budget. So I did everything I could with no right. money. And now right. you're complaining and saying my job's on the line. So, so to that leader, it's like, give, don't be afraid to give room um, for things to be tried out. But you don't have to give everything away because creatives mm-hmm. need constraints. And creativity yeah. requires limitations because we have 52 weeks. We can't, don't have time to do everything. So, right. so that person needs to understand that's how you collaborate is by gifting clear boundaries as to, you know, I would love it if we had one original song every week, but not five. Right. So, but you're giving a parameter. Oh, I could get to do one. I didn't even know I could do any. So we're going to get a songwriting group together. Cause that's like, you know, we could do 15 songs a year. That's a whole album of original right. songs. And it's only one of the songs even that we do 
every year. That's great. It's like a little more than one a month new in- intro of a song. That's our song. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. I can work with that. Uh, right. As opposed to, you know, I don't know. Let me see him first. You know, it's right. like. Right, right. So if you're, if you're leading, you're leading without vision that way. You're not giving that creative person room to dream because you're saying everything is possible. What you're saying, right. everything, the logic is it's nothing. Nothing. Correct. So I tell the leader, if you say I want it all, you're going to get nothing. But you have to say I want this and then collaborate about defining what that is and then letting him go and prove himself. And yep. creators will love to prove themselves. But they want it. the reason we complain and push back is not because we want all the money in the world. We just want to know, do I have anything to work with? Right. Right. What's, what's the sandbox? You know, what is my exactly. sandbox? Expectations. I'm, I'm a, such a firm believer that m- all, all creative endeavors rise and fall on expectations. If they're not clear, you're, you're destined to not succeed. Um, okay. And I think it was on your blog. Um, you talked about the idol of newness. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the idol of newness. Well, if I kind of define it, starting this from this point where our brains, according to neuroscientists, have this funny thing where we get bored. And so we look for novelty. And then we get a hit from that novelty, but then the thing that's new doesn't become new anymore. And so we get bored again. So we got to get something new again. And that's kind of a good motivation for creativity. It's just it's human nature. But what happens is, is we get so addicted to the idea of only the new that we, we move too quickly. And we look at that as kind of the goal is just to be new. Um, and the fact is, you know, just to quote Solomon, nothing is new under the sun. Only God creates something from nothing. So we have to be careful if we define new as something completely different, we're missing the point. And so it's really a hyperbole of saying, it's not saying nothing new. It's saying, what, how far are you doing new? Is it an iteration? Is it a step or five, several steps in a direction? Or is it just out of left field because you've got to do something new? And that's what happens to a lot of people. It's like, do something creative means we got to throw everything out. No, you don't. Within constraints of what you have, what can you do that's fresh? That, yeah. that, that's a twist. It's like everything's um, kind of a mashup. Like um, what's a Lion King is just Macbeth with um, lines. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. it starts with something that we are familiar with, that we know. And I think it's really important for us to always include that logic in our mind as creatives. Like I'm not really ever dealing with a blank slate. I'm copying from something whether I know it or not. If I'm addicted to newness, then I'm not really paying attention to what people already are familiar with and comfortable with. And then, yeah. so I don't know how far I'm taking them. I, you can take people yeah. a certain distance. In other words, you take them too far, then they lose interest. I love it. I love it. Another thing that I, I saw that you've talked about in the past, and I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this because um, I've always thought about it in the, in the reverse, but... Um, you talk about creativity is is addition. Explain that to me a little bit. Well, creativity. Um, okay, let's take the idea of seas here. You can look like the idea of culture, just because we have culture wars and all these things, and even just within institutions, mm-hmm. we have this idea of a culture we have to deal with. So we can criticize culture, 
We yep. can, you know, we can critique it, we can fight it, or we can create it. Add. Mm-hmm. So really, the, the, the difference is zero sum, which means there's only so much to go around. So in order for me to win, you have to lose. Mm-hmm. That means something has to be taken away from somebody. Addition means that there's enough of this creativity and ideas that even if we copy each other, it's going to be great. I have a friend who, during the same time, he wrote a book about creativity. It's, uh, it's called, uh, his name is John Bowles. He's an incredibly creative person. And he, wrote a, and he wrote a book um, just published called um, The Idea Mentalist. And it's a great book. And we have like overlapping ideas in the book. And we've known each other for years. And it's really funny. In fact, he sent me the cover and he changed it because his cover was too much like my book. Oh my and, gosh, that's crazy. And he's an incredibly creative guy. So I felt like honored that he would like, oh my goodness. So, but the idea there is addition. His book is an addition, not a com- competition where right. what, he's, what he's doing, and it's kind of like with like those of us, you know, create music. It's like, okay, we're going to write a, a breakup song, or if you're in church, of course, we're writing worship songs. How many times, how many ways do we need to sing, you know, I love you, Lord? Right. And what that means, I have affection for a person that I am worshiping, which is Jesus. You know, why does there have to be a limit on that? Why do we have to feel like that is a, it's taken away? You know, of course, there's thresholds of, of you, you break down that, that metaphor, that idea. But really, when yeah. you create something, you're adding something to the world. And this mm-hmm. is part of what I think our purpose is as creative, as image bearers of the creator, Big C, as little creators or sub, uh, sub-creators, uh, Token called us, we actually add to the world. We add names to the animals like Adam did he named the animals um mm-hmm. uh, his creativity we didn't make the animals but we get to name right. them we get to add something even to what god has for us to be fruitful and multiply it's actually multiplication maybe is a better word i don't know <laughs> but the idea is addition it's more that happens right. like another day here is more ideas actually get better ideas this is one of those principles sure. that researchers for have sure. found out and they say it's not just that you get more you know, you have 50 ideas and 5% are good. So you get 100, you're going to have 5% are good. No, you're going to have 100. You might have 10% of 100 good and only 5% of 50 good. Yeah. So that's an exponential kind of thing. So creativity is this addition. It's this mysterious, mystical, I would hate to use the word magical for some people listening perhaps, but it is. <laughs> we can't describe it all because it's, it's something that God, as his image bearers, gave us. And... Mm-hmm. And when we exercise part of our purpose as why we exist, it adds to the mm-hmm. world. Um, and we unintentionally do things that have this wonderful ripple. Uh, artists are really called, this is an opinion soapbox moment, we're called to be prophets. Right. I don't know, you know, let's say the term worship leader, calling, whatever. Okay, that's nice. Right. But if you're a creative person, whether you're a musician or you get up in front of people or not, you are called to be a prophet. And the reason we have a hard time is because you get people like prophets like Nathan, who had a king, and he went up and said, "Hey, let me, David, let me tell you the story about this lamb." Right. Um, and like, oh, then if those of you who haven't read the story about Bathsheba, you know, and all that stuff, um, King David was confronted by his artist slash mm-hmm. prophet, and so we don't. And I, did Nathan somehow completely? You know, he was creative. He was telling a story. Right. He wrote a song, perhaps, and this was his stick. 
And David was crying for it. He got moved by it. He was probably his muse was entertaining him, and all of a sudden it became a prophecy. And see, this is what we provide, and this is why it's, it's both dangerous for us and why it's exciting for us at the same time is this thing. And in, in a church setting where uniformity is more important than, you know, um, revelation sometimes, like revealing truth. Yep. And not just truth as factual, uh, doctrinal truth, but truth as to who we are as people. What are we missing? That yep. somehow challenges people. But we can, but we still have to do it. We can't help it. Um, right. And but anyway, so that's kind of where our addition, I think, is so important. We, we we can't think that we're taking away from somebody by succeeding. First, first of all, if you right. succeed, then I get to succeed because it's a family. Mm-hmm. Humans, you know, we have this terrible thing about, you know, the brokenness is I, I want to take all the mana, and hoard mm-hmm. it. This is like mana, creativity. You got to eat it up right. and keep eating it up, and that's how it adds. It adds in pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so good. Okay, so you talk, and and this is a good segue into talking about your book. But um, you talk about magic and science, and and you know, you just mentioned magic even a little bit. And again, we're talking, we're not talking about wizardry. We're talking about the 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 amazing parts of creativity that are a little bit more difficult to explain maybe. Um, what's the balance between the amount of magic an artist should rely on and the amount of work that an artist should rely on? Well, I think you, you can't disembed these things from each other. And here's why I called it a bridge. Because in your brain, just for instance, you're going to have a part of you that's going to come up with ideas. You're dreaming these ideas. They come to you in the shower or ketamines that came to you in the bathtub you know, Eureka, the light bulb is on. Mm-hmm. Now I have this idea. Um, and that's part of, you know, one of the, the ways that we think through our creative process. The other part is, okay, now how do I edit this? How do I mm-hmm. test it? How do I fix it? How do I take things out from it? And so these two ways of thinking, divergent and convergent thinking, divergent thinking ideas, open your mind. You start with one idea. It goes to many different things. This is kind of what, what, um, you know, imagination will take you everywhere is a quote by a scientist named um, Einstein. So scientists yep. do this too. And then the other side of it, conversion thinking, is taking all of that and bringing it down to a smaller point so you can look at it and, and move on it. Um, and mm-hmm. we go back and forth between these. There's a bridge between these. We have to change. You can't do these both at the same time. This is the thing where creative blocks come in, where we got frustration. We're working with each other where management doesn't understand what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing sometimes is because, okay, there's a certain point, like a brainstorm meeting is a great uh, way of everyone groans when they hear it. it's time for a brainstorm meeting because they're usually terrible because we try to do both these things at one time. We try to come right. up with an idea and then find the idea. Right. But if you had a meeting brainstorming in part A and part B, part A, mm-hmm. come up with ideas only. You're really not going to judge the idea. You're really going to write them out. You right. really aren't going to edit them out. And like the guy going on there is going to say, oh, I didn't really put that one on. Oops. You know, it's going to really be fully free to expand those ideas. And then you have another meeting. Sim- after you have it a time to simmer, that's a, maybe that's the middle part between these two. That's what the shift, that's the bridge. Now, mm-hmm. let's take even a different group of people if we had to. And let's test those ideas and find out which one will work. Um, you know, you or, or, you know, in like these songwriting groups, I need to learn the songwriting collaboration more. I mean, with a big group, because 
that's what happens. That's what's the good. You come up with ideas. Yep. Okay, now let's hear it. But you can't like hear it and like shoot it down before you hear it. You got to hear right. it. You got to put it down, you know, and everyone comes probably with ideas, you know, hopefully, if, they're, if it's a good hopefully. meeting. If they're doing their work, right. They write down and they bring, oh, I got these three good things. I wonder if they'll fit this project that someone's working on. And that's kind of what we do with creativity is we have back and forth, like sanding. So it starts with big, really opposite. And then the bridge gets smaller because you keep sanding back and forth through this process of, I have to find more ideas. I have to develop the ideas. I have to uh, reimagine the ideas that were sorted, the five that are left. Now mm -hmm. I narrow it to three. Now, you know, you keep going and then finally to deliver it, you find that one thing. And even then you still go back and forth. You might scrap the whole thing and right. figure out that this idea is for somebody else, but it's yep. still a good idea. And that's what creativity yeah. is. It adds something. Because even, even that adds something. Disney saves all of their brainstorming stuff, the Imagineering. They save it all. And they put mm -hmm. whole theme parks in a drawer that they brought out 20 years later and delivered finally because it wasn't time. But the idea didn't throw away. Right. So that's why I dish it like, back to the addition thing. But anyway, so that's, that's the whole thing. So the balance there is really learning how to find what you, where you are strong and where the other person hopefully you collaborate with is stronger than you are. And so mm -hmm. divergent thinkers, which are most of us really gooey, creative people, or, you know, those of us who are kind of lean towards the, the wizard guy, um, we are going to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> we are going to uh, be only 20%, this is science says, of the population. 80% are trained and prefer to be the other side. So we are always gotcha. in the minority, first of all. So we have to fight to get ideas even heard. But that's part of the process. So the, the, the magic and the science here really aren't embedded or aren't different. Mm -hmm. They're just different ways of thinking. Um, but imagination, here's, here's something that blew my mind. Imagination is logical. So I was always told, you feel too much rich or whatever. Anything artists are told, you know, like, okay, I'm, right. like, you know, I'm like, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with me? You know, and it's not just because I'm part Latin, you know, I have, it's just whatever it is. <laughs> um, and, uh, but uh, one scientist, she says it this way, you walk towards the edge of a cliff and you start to panic a little bit. That's logical. And, you know, that emotion, your feelings logic, because your mind, you're imagining, what would it look like for me to fall off? And so we put imagination and we, we disembed it from reality, from our story, from um, our creativity, because we're told sometimes in, in very well-meaning religious circles by the engineers who write the spiritual formation materials, unfortunately, where it's all fill in the blank, we're asking what a story is. And the truth is to be spiritually formed, I have to have an imagination. Like I have to imagine Jesus is right here with me. I have to imagine that his presence is going to come or this event I'm putting together, I have to imagine how it's going to be. And, and, and pray for what the future could be. That's what vision is, right? But why are we mm -hmm. not able to have the vision when they train leadership at leadership conferences to have, quote, vision, but they don't understand right. that vision is really the agency of every single person that God creates? Yeah, so good. So, so good. Okay, so your book um, is called Mind Blown. It's, it's an amazing um, it's an amazing read. I, I, I loved reading about the, the inspiration, but then the science that came with the inspiration and just the, the, the balance that you create in, in both of those things is, is beautiful. 
when you wrote that book, why did you feel you had to write the book and who did you write it for? Well, I had to deal with my trauma. <laughs> let's let let's be let's be honest. Um, the compulsion is: I lived many years, decades, in a role that no one um, mentored me to really understand what my role was, what my calling is in life. It wasn't a job title; it was to be an artist, a creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I wanted to be able to somehow understand that better. I wanted to also test myself to see: Am I crazy or not? So I'm going to read people and talk to smart people and be open to test my ideas out. So that's why I wanted to write this book, because I wanted to research from all different kinds of people to understand is what I'm thinking true. Um, and so that's, you know, paired with this, I was getting a master's degree in leadership, Christian leadership, and I wanted to somehow figure this out. So the book, uh, writing the book was really a way for me to explain creativity, because here's the thing. A lot of people say, here's how to be more creative. Here's four things you can do. And they're probably right most all the time. But I wanted to know why. So the reason to write in the book is why are those four things good? Now, there's vocal coaching from this one vocal coach I had where they deconstructed sports medicine as opposed to going just do and that's going to do something for you, whatever. They're saying, well, here's the muscles. Here's the lats. And here's what your neck's doing to get this tone. And they deconstructed um, how and why whatever the exercise was would work for your voice. That's brilliant. And that's what I wanted to do. I was a little nerdy. I wanted to figure out these great books I read tell me I should be more creative and I'm, I do their stuff and it helps me, but I want to know why. And I want to know why in a way that I understand as a non-scientist, as a music creative guy, not as somebody who's, you know, I'm going to talk to academics. Um, so that was why I wrote the book because I wanted to understand and my curiosity just kept coming. And when I was driving for Lyft, you know, which was like the other Uber, whoever has been in that Lyft car. I had customers on the way to LAX and passengers. And I tried this idea on every single one, CEOs, cooks, everybody. And they really seemed to help me with this idea. They loved it. They really said, I want to know more about this. What are you doing with this? And so I said, okay, my curiosity is even more struck. There's people out there. So who is this written for? It's written for, I'd say two to three different individuals. One is, is a person like me who's a creative, but probably a little earlier in life than me, who is in a position of having to deliver a lot of things and trying to describe to people what they need in order to get them done. And so um, just like the book, little book I wrote called The Six Hats of the Worship Leader, people said, what does a worship leader do? And in this way, said, what does a creative do? What's behind and under the surface? So I wanted to be able to help that person, first of all, have confidence that they're not crazy, even though they're 20% of the population, they're still not crazy. What they bring to the table is valuable. It's, it's necessary. Okay. And then I wanted to also talk to the person on the other side of the table, the people I learned to love and be humble about, who I think just never were uh, schooled that leadership is also creativity. And so mm-hmm. the leader out there, business leader or especially ministry leader, how are you able to be creative? Because if you're like the lead pastor, you got to like sermons. That's creativity. You have to like content. I mean, you know, and that's a lot of work. So you, how is that similar? Well, the difference is is the guys, your worship leader or the gal, they have to put together a team and the technical and all this. And even when they're not there, they do the same work. When you're gone, you hire Mm -hmm. somebody that that has a talk they've done 50 times and it's great. So this is where I want to help that person see, you know, what they bring to the table, what this person's bringing to the table, how they need each other. 
So that's the second person. And the third person would be, you know, like the, uh, the rest of us, like the teachers and the engineers and the professionals who really, you know, they have to figure out problems. They have to solve problems. You know, so you have the creative, you have the leader, and then you have the problem solver pretty much. And I, I think those are the people I, I like sitting with and they inspire me. Those are the groups of people. My wife's an educator. Uh, they have to solve problems every day. How do you keep these kids? They got different class every year. If you're, yep. you know, if you're a math teacher in high school, you got five periods that are completely different with the same thing to deliver. How do you do that? So I love those kind of people and I want to just have something useful for those three groups. So good. Well, it's very useful. And if you have not read the book yet, I encourage you to go buy it. We'll have the link in the show notes. Um, my last question for you today, Rich, is what do you hope that people experience when they read the book? I hope that you have your aha moment where you get to see your self and your dream as something that could, could be real, that could happen. Uh, whether it's a personal goal, um, professional goal, or a creative project, if somebody feels from reading that book that, you know, I can do this, and here's how I now have a way to look at areas personally I can get better at that are actually going to help me get further, um, that would be um, great. Because it's, to me, it's not about getting, you know, just audience uh, platform number. Uh, mentor of mine had the idea of influencing influencers. And so if I can help one of those creative persons who adds that word again, I would feel great about that. Um, and so there you go. I love it. I love it. Rich, thanks for your time today. We really appreciate you uh, taking some time to talk to our community and encouraging them and helping us learn how to be just a little bit more creative. My pleasure. Absolutely. What a fun conversation today with my friend Rich Kirkpatrick. Uh, a couple of things that really stuck out to me was um, robots and wizards and the fact that 20% of us who feel like we're connected to creativity and live in a creative process it's 20 percent of the world that's just amazing um if you have a chance i would love for you to go check out his book it's amazing mind blown um, make sure you get a, ch a chance to read that and maybe share it with your team i think it'd be a great resource today's conversation helped you in any way i would love for you to share it with at least one person shoot someone a text maybe tag us on social media MXU rocks and um, at B underscore R-E-W-S-T-E-R. Thanks for checking us out today and we'll see you next time.